Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from down under. And we're back again this time to discuss the win against Sheffield United on the weekend. We're also going to be discussing Fulham women's win against Sutton. A couple of very good results over the weekend for Fulham. And we'll also touch on the under-21s who uh, got a little bit of revenge when they played Leicester in the Premier League Cup, winning 4-0. To join me today to speak about everything we have... Elton, how are we going? Welcome back from your lovely trip. Uh, good evening. Good evening, listeners. Yep, thank you. Uh, very happy to be back, actually. Feeling refreshed, uh, a little bit suntanned, a little bit hairy, and um, but fully hydrated. There's a little nod to the man who's not with us tonight, unfortunately. Sam has a voluntary medical emergency, you could call it. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way I can work out how to describe it, but he will be back with us. And I bet you wouldn't be overly surprised if he's not listening into this episode as well. So fully expect him to start chiming in with some comments halfway through as uh, I saw him subscribe to the channel slightly earlier, which is fractionally worrying, but uh, let's see how we go anyway without Sammy. But um, it's good to have you back, Dad. It's been a couple of weeks without you, so it's um, nice to catch up and I'm enjoying the beard as well. Yep. Uh, well, I I actually did take my microphone away with me, as you know, and um, just the the Wi-Fi or signal just was not good enough. It's in the middle of a national park, so what do you expect? I had to trade beautiful snorkeling water for um, internet, I guess. Oh, worth well, it. On top of that, it was blowing an absolute gale when we did try and speak that one time, so you could barely hear a word you were saying. But, um, yeah, mm. at least you're back now. You managed to catch the game on Saturday, and uh, we can get straight in and start discussing it. So, look, Dad, a 3-1 win against Sheffield United. We were coming off the back of a pretty disappointing game against Chelsea, uh, a 2-0 loss, and... Um, more than anything, not just the actual result itself, but the performance was pretty poor. How did you feel we bounced back against Sheffield? I actually thought we, overall, I thought we played pretty well, really. And um, <clears throat> I know this isn't an unoriginal piece of analysis, but uh, overall, we we looked like a good football team from time to time and, and just missed a strike force or certainly a, a, a focal point up front um, mm. to, to to put the goals away. Um, it seems like a bit of a broken record, but I, I don't think there can be any other analysis other than that, really. Yeah, I mean, we, we know, we've known for the whole season so far, we knew as soon as Mitro left the club that we would uh, struggle to find goals. It was good to see us put three away, but it did feel like there were there were times when we should have been putting more chances away. I mean, we'll look at the stats for the actual game itself, but Fulham had 20 shots on goal, which is not something Fulham do very often. Um, the fact that we only put three of them away, and I mean, that that canny goal slash foddering own, own goal is, I mean, you barely call that shot on target. He slips and it, it magically ends up in the back of the net. And then Willian scores in the second minute of injury time. Um, you know, it, it just feels like we're still lacking that cutting edge despite putting three away. we I, I was really hoping Vinny came into the team and, and put the ball in the back of the net, but 
even Vinny maybe seemed like he's catching the yips a little bit. Mm. Having said that, I mean, uh, there, there were, were a couple of moments where I thought to myself, uh, despite the fact that we're, we're moaning about, you know, our lack of strike power and goal scoring ability from that one man up front. Um, when I, And I know coming into this game, pe people were a little bit concerned as to whether we might just get a problem from Sheffield United. Um, I know they had some pretty wild <clears throat> results against them recently. But you're thinking, look, they're in the Premier League and uh, there there are some decent plays in that side. But I, I was... It, it really struck me as to how poorly organised they seemed and how well, by comparison, and well organised we seemed. Um, you know, just just the really very simple things of knocking the ball around. Every time we lost possession, we got it back and seemed to move the ball around without any great difficulty. And there did seem to be a huge difference in quality between the two teams in terms of organisation and just how well drilled we 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 seem to be. I, I mean, we we sort of touching on it a little bit. And we, we're jumping straight into a conversation that we've had a few times now, which is around our strikers. And I, I agree with you. I think we did play some really good football. The the build up play looked much better than it has in the past few weeks. And I put a lot of that down to. Iwobi being in the side, um, BDR looked really good. He looked lively, and when he was on the ball, you could see he was working really hard and and making things happen. Um, so I think the fresh legs coming into the team and, and maybe guys coming in with a bit of something to prove as well made a difference. But again, th there was a lot of build-up play, but not a lot of end product. And I think that's what we're missing. And I, I thought Vinny did a pretty good job overall, but... I really felt like he should have put one of those chances away at least in the first half. And to, to go in mm. at halftime at nil-nil felt like, uh, I kind of felt a bit like a loss. Like, uh, you know, I did our halftime thoughts and I, I was really struggling for positives. The positive was we, we sort of look better than we have done previously, but the negatives there are we, we still can't put the ball in the back of the net. I, I think I have to agree with you. I think going in without having scored at half time against the bottom side, it, it's got to be viewed as a fail, really, because we, we were not in any difficulty whatsoever. And even though we, we, we kind of look quite good in different phases, and as you said, Vinny's link up play actually was pretty good, I thought. Um, yeah, it just. Again, same old problem, you know, we just, we, we clearly have a major problem to solve and I'm not actually sure how we're going to do that. Quite frankly, I really don't know uh, until a possible change of scenery in January. I'm, I'm not quite sure how this is all going to work out. Yeah, uh, other other sure than to say, <clears throat> sorry, Jack, uh, other than yeah. to say that you, we're probably going to have to really rely on our wingers and Pereira and, you know, maybe some set pieces to win us goals. But if you, if you think that you typically have to score a couple of goals to, to be assured of a win in, in the Premier League, week in, week out, really, 
um, it seems mm. difficult to to see where that's going to come from on a really uh, consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, last season we did spread our scorers out across, I can't remember the exact number, but it was something crazy like 12, 13, maybe even more than that, who who did put the ball in the back of the net for us. Um, and and I, I've, I mean, I attribute a lot of that to the fact that we had someone up front who created a lot of chances for those players. And I'm, I'm starting mm-hmm. to see that from Vinny. I know we saw Vinny... Basically, I mean, that first goal is a beautifully worked move and it does come from him receiving the ball into feet, laying it out wide to Pereira, who then plays a perfect ball into the path of um, Deckard over Reed, who finishes really well too. Um, so I'm not too stressed. And let's be perfectly honest as well. I don't think we're going to be signing that key forward in January. We The, the club like don't it. seem to be... Uh, they, they don't seem to be interested in spending a huge amount of money. Um, I know that the silver contract is sort of rumbling on. There's been a, a little bit of news recently that silver has said that they're still discussing a new contract, but while he's, he's not signed anything, I can't imagine we're going to sign anyone in January and make any kind of investment, especially when you look at the league and you see the bottom three teams or even the bottom four teams in Sheffield, Burnley, Bournemouth and Luton being so far away from the, the rest of the pack. It just feels like a, a bit of a safe season to actually not spend that money. I, I'd love us to spend that money, but I don't think it's going to happen. Hmm. Well, um, what one, what 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 is actually going to happen now with Raúl? I mean, what's the story there? If Silva is a man who likes to give people a run of games, um, what does that mean? Raúl now sits out for four or five games while Vinny has a go? Well, I mean, that's that's the question. I, I'm not 100% sure. We, we, it's You kind of give Raul that opportunity over and over again to score goals, but then if, if Vinny comes in and doesn't score goals, how can you allow him to keep that spot as well? You've dropped Raul because he's not scoring goals. Now Vinny has to score goals. I mean, do we then turn to Muniz and say, you're the man to lead the line and now it's your opportunity as well like i i think realistically vinny's going to get an extended um run of starts now and i think that's fair because that's kind of the way you do it you it would be unfair to give raul seven games and then give vinny just one to prove himself um so i i expect sure. we'll see vinny start for the the next three or four games at least unfortunately for vinny they're tough games and we're not likely to get much out of them um, having to play, I think it's Spurs, Liverpool, Man United. Um, I can't remember the exact fixtures upcoming, but you know, you look at our next four games, it's very likely we could pick up no points. I think Brighton are in there as well, who are very hot and cold at the moment. You never really know what you're going to get. So it's it's an interesting one. But um, look, I, before we do talk about the second half, I think it's worth um, touching on that horrific injury to Chris Basham in the first half, which obviously held up play for um, 14 minutes. Um, I mean, that's just horrible to see happen to someone, but uh, I think a a bit of a proud moment as a fan, if you can swing it in a positive sort of sense, but a proud moment as a fan to see the whole stadium, home and away fans getting up on their feet and applauding him and, you know, being fairly respectful. I know there's obviously a few bad eggs out there, making stupid comments on Twitter, but 
it's it's good to see people being respectful of an injury like that happening to an opposition player. I, I think that was um, just good to see. Well, and I'd go further than that and say an even prouder moment, um, and 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 hardly surprising of a man like uh, Tim Ream, who immediately goes to his aid and comforts him, mm. and you know just behaves in in an incredibly humane way, which. You'd like to think any any of our players would behave like that, but it's not surprising to see Tim Ream just step up and do that. And I don't know if you saw, but on <clears throat> on um, his Instagram, he actually per- personally shouted out Tim Ream mm. uh, for that, which is very lovely to see. Yeah, I know a lot of players, or a comment was sort of made that you could see a lot of players just didn't even want to be near that injury because it was is very graphic. Uh, I, I don't know what the coverage was like back in the UK, but for some reason, uh, our coverage here in Australia, they showed that happen maybe five or six times, maybe even more. And it was, it didn't get better the more you looked at it. And um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one for, for a player like that at that age, especially to come back from. That's a really, that's a very nasty injury. I know he's already been through one surgery. I think by the time we're recording this, he's probably already had his second surgery as well. Um, but that's a long road back from recovery. So, yeah, uh, thoughts with Chris Chris Basham after that injury because it is a nasty one. Um, but let, let's talk through the goals. We, we briefly mentioned the first one from Dekodova Reed. Um, any any more to add to that? I, I just thought it was a really beautifully worked Fulham goal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and again, huge plaudits to Vinny, who actually did the hard work in all of that and not not dissimilar to that little layoff he did to Solomon uh, in Brighton, V Brighton last season. Very, very similar, laid it off under huge pressure. I mean, the guy, um, I can't remember who, who was actually on him, but I presume it was the same centre-back that was wearing his shirt all day because mm. um, he was very closely marked all day. And um, to, to, to actually have the composure and the physical leg and body strength to hold that up, turn, and lay the ball, beautifully weighted ball, out in front of him. It was really something else. I mean, obviously, um, Pereira still had a lot to do, and it was a very, very high-quality pass that he he, he put across to Bobby decadova Reed. But just a lovely goal, just a great goal to, to, to look at, and the kind of thing that I guess we've become um, a little bit spoilt and accustomed to over the last year or two of seeing those sort of um, that kind of movement and those sort of goals on a fairly regular basis, particularly in the championship. And it felt like um, um, sort of rolling back the years a bit on that. On that. Yeah, well, I mean, funny you mentioned that Sheffield United really did feel like a bit of a championship team we were playing, and it did have that sort of feel about it where it, it was like those games we played in the championship where we're just that. And not it just sounds like we're being full of ourselves here, but we we did seem that step above them in quality where we were just able to play passes that they weren't. We were able to break through their defense and they they weren't able to do the same to us. And um it was it was a beautiful pass from Pereira. I, I actually in watching it back, you realize he hits it first time. At, you know, when you're watching it live, sometimes you're not really noticing that they they hit it first time. I thought he sort of took a touch because he, he really waited to make sure he got the pass perfect and to curl it around the that last defender there 
and into the path of Bobby perfectly. He didn't even have to break stride for it, which was just brilliant. And then slots it so calmly past the keeper. A, a, a thought popped into a few people's head there, I reckon. Is Bobby maybe an opportunity to play as our main striker? Is there anything he can't do? Um, <clears throat> but, be, yeah, I mean, look, we did try that <laughs> um, uh, one or two occasions last year, and it didn't really work. But given where we are right now, would it be that crazy? I mean, it it it, it seems mental to be throwing out three um, strikers and casting them aside and giving Bobby the job of actually playing in that position. But if he can be most effective, then why not? I, I look, I, I'm I'm going to say no uh, because I think. To your point that you made earlier last year, when when we were sharing the goals around, one thing that Mitro obviously did very very well is actually not only just link up play in midfield, but he was actually very very good at getting assists and actually being very central. If he wasn't the man to provide the assist, he was within one pass of the goal one or two passes of the goal actually coming about. And if Vinicius or anyone, but most likely Vinicius can be that man, then maybe that might be enough um, this season to share, to actually create some of those chances. If he can't put the ball in the back of the net on a consistent basis or one or two of them in every game, but he could do that and perform that kind of function, I'd be pretty happy. It's. I mean, we tried Bobby up front last time round. It didn't work. I, I remember especially that Brighton game where he just got completely overpowered. But I also believe we, our style has changed now that Mitro's not there. I don't think we're we're fully there yet. But we were always playing a Mitro centric style where it was all about getting the ball into the box for our big striker to put the ball away. That's just not the case anymore. I mean, Jimenez is a a speedy sort of player and you can play the ball in behind. Vinny probably does play that bit of hold up play, which maybe is why it works a little bit better when he starts because we're more used to playing that style. I'm not sure we really suit Bobby as a, as a striker. I, again, I think he's great to just have on the wing. And for me, I love having him on the bench and it's, it's a weird one when you think about it and you look at someone and go, I, I just want you on the bench because I want him to come off the bench and actually impact games. And I think when you're talking about squad depth, having someone like that who can come off the bench and do good things in multiple different positions is such a such a weapon to have at your disposal. Um, and look, I, I'm just glad he scored a goal. I think he's, he's a very underrated player at the club. Um, and, you know, he gets pulled from pillar to post fairly often as well. So it's good that he comes on, gets a reward as soon as he comes into the side. And I thought he worked really hard all day. I'm not sure he is underrated at the club. I, I think he's underrated within the Premier League and certainly within the that's, media. Sorry, that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I think people know and highly appreciate what he does. Um, yeah, to your point about, you know, loving someone like Bobby on, on the bench, it, it feels like, there's just a couple too many players who sit in that category, like Harry Wilson, yeah. uh, great off the bench, but does he, you know, on a week 
to week to week basis, is he really the guy that we need to partner with someone like a William in full force? I'm not sure that's that's yeah, true. I mean, that's that's you know, Tom Kearney's role, full stop, isn't it? Well, Coming I was about to say, bench. Tom Tom Kearney, fantastic off the bench, but he probably isn't good for 90 minutes, um, and maybe not good in absolutely every situation. But mm. you know, you, you you don't want that. You don't want to an imbalance where you've got too many of these players who are only impact subs and you haven't got enough reliable people of quality on the pitch. Um, but look back to the, 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 the problem or challenge of how do we, how do we manufacture a striker out of the players that we've got here? I, I, I feel like Bobby's not the answer and it has to come down to, um, <clears throat> one of the three guys stepping up. It seems, it seems way too much to imagine that Muniz is going to come out of nowhere because I sort of feel like I know what he's he's capable of. It does seem to be some improvement there, but it doesn't really feel like he's about to absolutely astound everyone and turn into mm. um, a, a, a player of infinitely greater quality. I don't I don't see that happening. Um, yeah. no, I, I'd agree with and that. I, I feel like I feel like you, you're right in that I think there has been some adjustment uh, since Metro's left, but I don't see us having transformed the way we play. Um, and and maybe because uh, Jimenez is, is he's a kind of a weird hybrid. He's actually fairly big, fairly physical guy, um, and he's also quick. But he's not exactly one of these players who um, get involved in really quick, uh, tricky little triangles in the box, um, which end up in a goal. It's not. It's not really the. It doesn't really seem to be that player either. So, mm. so it's not that surprising that we haven't fully transformed because we don't have Van Nisselrooy. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um... Looking at the the second goal, well, not the second goal, sorry, the second goal of the day, which was Sheffield United's only goal of the day uh, and put into the net by Anthony Robinson. Now, usually we get on this and, and talk about how the defence failed and how it was a, a horrible mistake or th this is the reason why we let in a goal. This is a different one where, unfortunately, Diop picks up the ball and, and we both mentioned this as well when we talked the other day saying, I, I did see Diop bend down earlier, maybe 10 minutes before this incident, touching his foot, maybe holding his ankle. Wasn't really sure what was going on. He looked, kind of looked knackered. I, I don't really know what was happening, but he takes the ball, collects it on the edge of the box almost, takes one touch and instantly pulls up, but unfortunately gives the ball away to the Sheffield player who plays it out wide. Ball is played into the box. There's an extra man advantage. And um, unfortunately, Robinson can't really do anything with the cross and turns it into the the back of the net. Uh, take a very slight deflection off one of the Sheffield players on the way through, and it was very close to being offside as well. But just one of those. And I I'm, tweeted it at the time. It, it felt very Fulhamish that everything's going swimmingly. You score this brilliant goal. You look like you're going to come away with a comfortable win, and then. The player gets injured and gives the ball away, and we concede. Yeah, um, I think I've lost Jack. I think he's uh, dropped out. 
I actually, um, I remember when um, Diop was limping around and I, I, you could see him a few minutes before actually testing out his leg. And I remember mm. thinking, well, that doesn't look right. And then um, I've, I've heard people say, oh, you know, um, Sheffield United should have put the ball out or, or maybe Diop should have done better. Look, when you have something which appears to be quite a serious injury, we, I don't think we have a full understanding of what's happened. But I think um, Silver alluded to the fact that it's it's a, it's a fairly nasty injury. Um, so he heard a crack so, or something and, yeah. Well, you know, you, you, things are moving at light speed. You can't expect him to have done any better there. So that is what it is. We lose the ball. Now, thing I, I haven't had a chance to look at that again, but I've heard some noises around the fact that when the cross comes in, the player who gets that slight deflection, which maybe, maybe excuses Robinson's position and, you know, what, what happens with his right foot, but is that player clearly onside when he when yeah he, he was gets the deflection? Okay, they did they did check okay. it. He was very slightly behind. I mean, it, it's close. It needed the lines to be drawn on VAR, but it, it was okay. he was behind. I, I thought at first maybe yeah. there's a chance that he might be offside. It was close, but yeah, he's definitely on. Well, the the other thing that and again it sounds harsh because I think Robinson actually had a pretty good game, but. I'm thinking that if that was on Robinson's left side, that doesn't go in the net. But it looked yeah, pretty bloody awkward with his on his right foot. Um, he he his whole body position was pretty awkward. Um, yeah, it's coming at and a I very know. awkward height for him. It was sort of just a, a sort and of it's a bit of a deflection. It's where, a deflection. As yeah, well. you're trying to, and things are moving quick, and you know that there's a man down. So, sure. um, yeah, look, I. I can't fault us for that. Uh, I, I, if I was, if that happened to us, I wouldn't expect us to put the ball out of play either. Um, I did no, no, see sure tweet, not. Surely not. Um, I can't remember who it was who tweeted it, but um, I believe that's the third time this season we've conceded a goal with a player either down injured or Kenny Tete's boot coming off. There's the Bassey incident against Arsenal where he got taken down um, on the byline. There's the this Diop incident as well. And then obviously Kenny Tete when he had to run into the change room and change his boot. That's three goals this season that we've conceded in, in really bizarre circumstances. Um, but again, it's nothing you can really plan for. You can't go on the training ground and plan for what happens if someone gets injured and how you quickly adjust in the next 30 seconds. The, these are just unfortunate oh, not even. things that happen in football. I don't even think it was 30 seconds. It was very, very quick. And suddenly you are a man down, and you're exposed. And I and I think uh, I do remember Leno uh, picking Robinson up from the ground and kind of giving him a bit of a pat on the back to somewhat console him. That you know you'd expect your goalkeeper to be pretty unhappy about an own, mm. own goal like that, but Leno could clearly see not a comedy of errors that it was, but. It was a fairly unfortunate set of sequence of circumstances that uh, you know you really couldn't do very much about. So one of those things. Yeah, it was a, an interesting reaction as well from the whole team. No one really complained massively to the referee, and and it's kind of good. You don't want everyone getting around the ref and, and 
really whinging at him and saying, come on, what are you doing? And I thought the referee as well actually had a very good game considering he was yeah, yeah. Um, refereeing, yeah. you know, I think, in League One two years ago, which is a really a, a very quick path to the Premier League. And it just shows that there are good referees out there. And maybe the referees who've been in the Premier League for a little bit too long have those biases and, and have those inabilities to make decisions because they're backed by all this technology. And um, I, I think I think the referee had a really good game. I just throw that out there while we're talking about it. No, I I, um, I agree with you, Jack. Agree with you wholeheartedly. But and maybe it's also one of those things where you know the Premier League is is, is the top of the tree. So once you get there and you've played a, a few seasons or refed a few seasons, there's kind of nowhere to go, and so you stay there. And mm. it it seems that there's very little churn because it's I think it's quite difficult for these younger referees to to actually get an opportunity. But perhaps with all the heat over the last weeks of some really dire performances, both you know off the field and on the field, and I'm meaning VAR, that maybe the the FA have had to look broader and start promoting people through the ranks, who are gen- genuinely They have good. to because they're genuinely having <clears throat> yeah. to suspend referees because of poor performances. And, and uh, that's exactly what they should be doing as well. If a referee has a bad game, you back down to the championship, mate, get your, earn your stripes yeah. again and then come back up. Um, it's okay. the only way, to, only way to do it is just to continue rotating through referees and, and try and find some quality because there must be quality out there. I mean, I've played a fair bit of football and played with some very good referees at a, at a very low level of football. Um, and you wonder how these professionals who go through multiple training courses and have thousands of games of experience can get it so wrong sometimes. It's it's no, but, bizarre. But as I said, Jack, it, it's I think it's a bit of a, a mate's club at the top of the tree. Yeah, 100%. That they, they, these guys are experienced. It doesn't, doesn't mean they're that sharp anymore. I, I'm not even talking about biases. It's just like they're just perhaps not at the top of their game anymore. And I mm. think um, it's very hard to move them on. And I think there's been a reluctance to move them on. And maybe, just maybe, that might change. Because as you say, there will be some really, really good referees up and down the league, certainly within the top three leagues, that mm. probably just aren't moving up the ladder fast enough. Yeah. Anyway, let's not get bogged down in ref chat because that's really boring stuff. Uh, moving know, on to the... We're being very positive about refs. I know. So I just don't like talking about them. Moving on to the Tom Kearney goal. I'm going to call it the Tom Kearney goal because I think he deserves mm. it. Um, Kearney, a really good bit of midfield work there where Fulham win the ball back after losing it, um, win it back quickly. And Tom Kearney, it just felt like the right zone for him to take a shot in. We've seen him score a number of goals from there for Fulham over the last eight years. Um, it's in game 299 for Tom Kearney as well. Um, he takes a shot, he slips, it hits his, it comes off his left foot into his right foot, floats up in the air, somehow gets perfect dip, hits the crossbar onto Fodderingham's back and into the back of the net. And again, I, I tweeted pretty much straight after saying, uh, the the goal we conceded was very Fulhamish, and this goal felt just as Fulhamish as well. Where it just we got the rub of the green uh, with that one for sure. It's a bit like the Metro penalty yeah, slip. Wasn't I did it? think that. <laughs> <laughs> oh look, um, I I 
I don't think anyone minds when Tom Kearney is in about that position and has a crack because he's mm-hmm. got an uncanny knack of being able to find the goal. He's, he's uh, yeah, he's, he's just a great player to have on your team, isn't he? Uh, it's a bit of a shame, really, that we're at the back end of his career. I don't want to talk him out of the squad, but it's just a shame that we can't be getting even more out of him because he's the kind of creative player that I think Marco would just love to have more access to, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, and, and look, he's perfect coming off the bench for us at the moment. I, I'm very happy seeing him come off the bench and um, make an impact in, in that fashion most of the time. I think um, not many clubs have someone who – a few clubs do. I remember John Joe Shelby coming off the bench and doing something similar last season – um, and just coming off and, and all of a sudden that player comes onto the field and they just add that creative spark to the game. And and that's really what Kenny did when he came on and always does when he comes on as well. He just opens up the the field a little bit more. He sees a few more passes that maybe Iwobi and Pereira don't see sometimes. Um, and so it's always good to see him come on and always good to see him score a goal as well. I know it's not in his name, but um, it, it is great to see him succeeding um, 299 games under his belt, similar to Tim Ream, just a couple of club legends who've been with Fulham through thick and thin over the last eight years. And um, it was just nice to see him come on and uh, get a bit of joy because uh, I think everyone everyone's happy when Tom Kearney's happy. Um, and look, it, it felt like when Robinson scored that own goal, the game might peter out into one of those really annoying draws where you have 20 shots on goal and you only score one. Sheffield barely trouble us and we score an own goal and, and come away from a game where we should have picked up three points with just the one. But we did close this one out well. Willian f- scored the final goal of the day. Um, uh, just a classic Willian goal, Dad, cutting in from the left onto his right foot. Keeper should have done better, I'd say. But um, at the end of the day, Fulham three, Sheffield United one. Sure. Uh yeah, I think in in another in another moment, um, you know, William probably could have scored earlier off a very similar opportunity, but just finds the keeper. Um, and like you say, it's a very William kind of. You'd, you'd think that people have worked that out. Although having said that, he's not that predictable. He's just as likely to go to the left. But really, when there is that opportunity, it's almost like players standing around ought to know that if there is that gap to the left of the man trying to block him, you know where he's going to go. I think it's, um, it's just his pace um, and mm, how quickly he can little shoulder shift his whole body weight and, and create mm. that little space. And then you expect him to take a shot and he just sort of feigns the shot and takes another touch away and gains some more space. And that's that's exactly how he scored the goal, basically. Again, I think the keeper should have done much better because he gets a very mm. solid hand to it. But, Palms it into the side net. But he's hit but it that pretty well. Game. Yeah, and he's look, I, well. even at two one, it didn't feel like Fulham were really threatened that often. Um, yeah, uh, usually going uh, at that point in the game, twenty five minutes plus injury time to go. I'm biting nail, or not twenty five. Sorry, fifteen minutes plus injury time to go. I'm usually biting nails and and worried about us potentially throwing it away, but just didn't feel like that. And I think that's the the gap in quality this season, especially where. These teams, they're just not threatening the goal. And you know that all you need to do is put the ball in the back of the net once and it should be game over most times. 
And look, uh, more than anything, I'm just glad that we did. How did you feel about Iwobi starting uh, ahead of Harrison Reed? I, I really like him. Um, I don't fully understand him yet. Um, he's He's got something about him. He's got some character. He's got some positivity. He's got some confidence. And I think we'll see that confidence grow as well. Um, I, I really like him as a player. I, I want to see more of him. And I, I think this was an attacking move where Silver said, right, we, we probably don't need two defensive midfielders for this game. Let's throw Wobi in. Let's give Pereira some support in a more attacking position. Let's allow Wobi to just float and be wherever. And I think it worked pretty well. I'd like to see more of it. Will we see more of it? I think only in very certain games. For example, the next four fixtures we've got, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Iwobi started off the bench and came on in a very different role. I found myself thinking, um, I I wish we had a player which was basically a hybrid of Iwobi and Harrison Reed, because um, Polinia was kind of left to do it on his own in midfield and defensive midfield. And Iwobi was really exciting and he's busy and he's, I'm not going to say chaotic, but he's quite unpredictable and he, he really puts himself about and I like his energy and what he does going forward. But I, I've sort of found myself thinking that if we were playing a much, much better side, I, I wonder if we would have felt a bit exposed defensively. Um, 100%. I think that was, but like I said, I think that's part of the selection policy was Silva knowing that we're unlikely to be tested hugely in midfield and and you can let Polina just dominate that midfield battle and feel very comfortable that Iwobi doesn't have to do much of that defensive work. Iwobi is quite good defensively, but I I think he just wasn't required and so he was given a more advanced role and, and it worked. I was I was happy with it, um, but you know, like I said, the the upcoming fixtures we we play Spurs and Brighton away after this international break, and then we have Man United at home followed by Aston Villa away. So we've got uh, you know, there are four fixtures where things go well. We pick up maybe maybe six points, probably four if things go well. Um, it's very possible that we come away from those four fixtures with nothing. So picking up points here is important. And I, I think the the makeup of the side during those games is going to be important as well because we're not going to be able to be as expansive as we were against Sheffield. We're going to have to be a little bit tighter at the back and a little bit more defensive through the middle where I, I could see actually maybe Pereira getting dropped and Reed, Polina and Iwobi all playing a little bit deeper but having the ability to push forward when needed in a sort of counter-attacking sense. Um, but adding some some defensive depth, if that makes sense. It does. Um, does uh, the international break give Kenny Tete enough time to be fit? And if he is fit, does he displace uh, Castagna? I, I think he does. I think Tete should be starting. Uh, I love Castagna so far. I'm really enjoying what I'm seeing from him, and I, I love how flexible he is to be able to play left and right back. But Kenny Tete is a class above. Tete also hasn't been picked for international duty. I'm not sure if that's down to his injury or not, but that definitely helps. It gives him 
or what's the date today, the ninth, and we we don't play again until the twenty fourth. So um, gives him a solid two weeks of of rest from here. Um, Anthony Robinson also hasn't been picked for international duty, uh, despite being fit. He does have a little niggle apparently, and so I think he requested to be left out. Um, so there's there's a chance for a few of these players to get some rest and recovery. Apparently, it's a it's a hernia, early early stage hernia problem. Yeah, and so I think having a bit of rest will definitely help Robinson. But look, I mean, it's definitely one of those positions where I'm actually not too worried about it because I feel like we have some depth there. I know last year, if you were saying, you know, does Kenny Tete get back in the side over Kevin and Babu or Levin Kazawa? It's a very different conversation. But all of a sudden, we've got some depth now where I hope Tete comes back in, but if he doesn't, I don't think we're going to miss out hugely because Castagna has been a very worthy backup option so far. Do you think? Do you think Willian is now back um, from where he's been over the last month or so? No, um, I don't think he's hitting the heights he was last season. He scored a goal. I thought he, I thought he had think, a good game. I thought I he had a good he did game. Play pretty well, but he's not destroying teams like he was last year. He was on fire last year. It was superb. He was unstoppable. And and maybe it's the fact that he doesn't have um, the same players around him as he did last season in Mitro, who, you know, helped set up a lot of stuff for him and was a target in the middle. But uh, I'd actually just like to see a bit of rotation now that we have those players. We can play Wilson, Willian, BDR, Iwobi on the wing as well. Like, we've got some options there. Um, Adama, when he comes back from injury, like, I think there needs to be a little bit of rotation through those wings. And I think we saw with BDR coming into the side um, in place of Harry Wilson, who's improved week on week, BDR comes in and had a really good game. I thought, you know, you'd probably push for him to be one of the players I'd put forward as man of the match. Um, So I I think it's... Willian's not back fully, but I don't have any issues with him starting and continuing to start. Uh, And I also think having a bit of rotation would be healthy for the side anyway. So I'd be happy for him to drop out and someone else to come in and have a couple of games. I'd be happy with his impact off the bench. Uh, And I'm happy with his performances so far as well. And I feel like I'm interviewing you here, but I've got a lot of questions. Um, Harry Wilson, how do you how do you reckon he went? I, I I'll tell you my view. Um, I I thought he should have done a lot better. I know he didn't have that much time, but I thought he should have done a lot better given how weak an opposition they were. This is Harry Wilson literally playing a championship side, and we know how well he did against championship level players. Am I being a bit too harsh or have I am I seeing a slight inconfidence? Uh, I think you're probably being a bit harsh. He came on in the 78th minute, so he only had 10 minutes to make an impact. I yeah. don't think he no, had many opportunities that. to have an impact. Um, I, I think he's week on week improved. I think he's getting better and better and starting to look more and more a Premier League player. Um, so I'm I'm not again similar to Willian, even though the performances aren't 
peaking at the moment. I, I do think like I, I do think we're we're almost there and and we're getting better. Unfortunately, the problem is we're coming into a run of games that are tough, um, and it, it's not what you want when you're trying to find form because it's going to be tough to actually keep up the pace at that point. Um, let's keep rattling through this because I want to talk about the women's and the under twenty ones as well. But let's. Look at the stats from the game. Fulham with 60% possession to Sheffield's 40. As I mentioned before, Fulham with 20 shots on target on goal, sorry, six of those on target uh, to Sheffield's five shots on goal with just two on target. Fulham 517 passes to Sheffield's 342. Nine corners for Fulham to four for Sheffield and eight fouls by Fulham to 10 fouls by Sheffield. Uh, let's have a quick look at the table. Fulham now sitting in 12th place, up one place from 13th last week. 11 points, level with Chelsea, uh, minus five for the goal difference. Uh, the big thing there, though, that I see is 17th, 18th, both have four points. That's Luton and Burnley, respectively. Bournemouth, three points in 19th place, and Sheffield United with just the single point. Um, interestingly, when you look at that, if you combine the bottom four's points so far for the whole season. They've only picked up 12 um, and Fulham already on 11 points after eight games. It's a good start. Dad, do you just feel, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm mentioning it almost every week at the moment, but do you feel like there really is that quite large gap between Fulham and the promoted sides plus Bournemouth at the moment? In terms of quality, I definitely feel that despite the problems we're having, and we're 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 not firing properly as yet, no doubt about it. So, if if we had a firing goal scorer, you'd you'd, you'd kind of feel we'd be fifteen points, fifteen sixteen points already. Uh, but we're not, and we're still eleven. In terms of quality, I think we're a much better side than those bottom four. In terms of points, I'm uneasy that we're. There's not enough space in between those bottom four sides and us. I mean, I know it's seven points, but that's not enough. I think after eight games, seven points is pretty significant, to be honest. Um, I know the other 14 put up their baseline tracker at the moment, and Fulham are apparently two points ahead of schedule, whereas Sheffield United are eight points behind schedule at the moment. So... Sheffield should have picked up nine points from eight games, and Fulham should have picked up nine as well. Um, I know, I know, Jack. But what what we were not long ago discussing the fact that it's quite possible over the next three or four games we may get no points, or maybe one or two. Um, and so you know, you know, not that I expect I expect those bottom three sides to suddenly in these next four games go on a run of wins. Um, yeah. And even if one of them does, they're not all going to win. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so uh, I, I there think... could be some movement. I, I'm, I'm not. I, I'm not scared of the the, the 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 sort of big R. I'm just feeling like for the overall quality that we had. To answer your question, for the overall quality that we have compared to those bottom four sides, we should we should be 15 points and we should be moving dramatically away from them. Yeah, and look, I, I think we missed an opportunity against Palace to pick up a few extra points. 
um, taking us to 13 points would make all of a sudden quite a big difference because I think at that point we're probably just one win away from actually European spots. And, and it is too early to make sweeping statements about where we're at for the season as well. But it's it's interesting to look at at least, I think, and and sort of analyse it in a way and say there does seem to be some grouping already happening. I, I know at the top of the table you see a bit of grouping as well with those top six sides who really are blazing away with the season already in Arsenal, Spurs, Man City. They're making that little group of three at the top. And I feel like there's a group of four at the bottom here. And I think probably around the 12, 13 game mark, if we're still maintaining a gap and those teams in the bottom four aren't starting to pick up points more regularly, I think we can start to make some assumptions then that we, we're, I'm not saying safe, but I think it's it, it would take a total capitulation for us to fall into a relegation dogfight at that point. Well, um, to your point earlier, I, I think this, I don't want to speak too soon. I don't want to jinx anything, but we may just be fortunate this season that whilst, you know, we could have done a lot better with our signings, etc., we could just have four pretty poor sides that are going to save save the day for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, that's kind of all you need and, and all you want every season. You just, uh, what do they say when you're in the water and there's a shark attack? All you need to do is be able to swim faster than one other person and uh, you're going to be safe. And that's basically what we need to do here. We need to swim faster than three other teams. And uh, at the moment, we are. Sharks are more targeted than that. Yeah, not not the <laughs> they, relegation they'll shark. They'll, yeah, they'll often swim past the target. For not another this one. relegation shark. <laughs> anyway, um, let's move on and have a quick chat about the under-21s. They had a good result in the Premier League Cup. Uh, we discussed them last week. We talked about their loss to Leicester, and it was a big upset. Leicester was sitting second bottom in the under-21s league and Fulham had been completely unbeaten and absolutely flogging teams at that point. Unfortunately, went down the week before in the league, but bounced back really nicely in the cup. Um, two goals here from uh, Lankadoc, uh, one goal from Josh King, one goal from Luke Harris. Uh, now, worth mentioning, Josh King is just 16 years old. Um, he's been playing for the under-18s for a while, and he's actually now been caught up to the England under-17s as well. I don't know if you've seen many highlights of it, but he, he's a real talent. You know, and Fulham have been really good at at producing these players recently. We've seen with Cessignon, Elliot, Carvalho, and and now we're seeing Josh King coming through the system as well. And obviously Luke Harris, who scored in this game too. But um, exciting to see a young player coming up. You know, just sixteen years old and scoring for the under twenty ones. Oh, uh, I, and to answer your question, I I don't know very much about him at all, but I I hope I I learned something through this. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty significant. I, I, you know, <clears throat> I was actually having a chat with Josh, your brother-in-law today, <clears throat> watching a bunch of kids play basketball. I was commenting on about this, you know, 11 year old kid who was really quite good at shooting hoops. And then thinking to myself, really, if you, you're going to be a great athlete by the time you're about 14, 15, definitely 16, you are already completely standout. And so it's not that surprising that that 
someone who's 16 and is actually playing in many years above him himself but that that that's that is pretty special when at 16 you're playing under 21s or even even playing you know um is it was he is he playing international under 17s or called caught up to that group yeah so he's just been picked for the england under 17s yeah 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 i i look i don't know anything about him jack to be honest but uh i um i hope we 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 can see him uh do some special things and start to follow him. Yeah, and look, it was his under-21s debut as well, which makes it even more special. Scored after 15 mm. minutes. Just having a look at the goal here, the, the ball sort of lands on the corner of the six-yard box, uh, gets knocked back to him by Lankadoc, I think it is. And he, he just puts his foot through it and hits it so sweetly. And I've seen a few highlights of him playing um, for the under-18 so far. And he just he sees passes that other play? players Where don't. and. He's he's a central midfielder, um, and he's a, he's a creative type. He, he reminds me quite a lot of uh, Fabio Carvalho in the way he okay. has those sort of driving runs, runs through defenses, plays defense splitting passes, but also scores as well. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of what's what's exciting at the moment. He's um, a, an interesting player and definitely one to keep an eye on because I think. He could be our next Harvey Elliott, our next Fabio Carvalho, our next big thing. And um, uh, I think cooking in the under-21s is a perfect way to go about it because he's playing alongside some really good players. He's going to get that winning mentality as well in this really strong group of young guys at the club. Um, and he's been training on and off with the first team as well, so he's getting some experience there, you know, playing training against guys like... Um, you know, João Polina, Andreas Pereira, it must be a really eye-opening experience for a 16-year-old. Uh, and I, look, I, I think he's going to go a long way. He's he's a talented kid. And like I said, it's it's great to see that that's being recognised as well. Um, Josh King and Sam Amissa as well, who you might remember, he made a couple of appearances on the pre-season tour in America, both recently been selected by England for the under-17s, which is really good. Um Another person to get an international call up, Luke Harris. Uh, he's going to be spending the first part of the international break uh, with the Wales senior team and then joining up with the under-21s for the European qualifier. There's a little bit of chat about the fact that um, he could actually get his first appearance for the Wales senior team. And he got on the score sheet as well against Leicester. So it, it's just really good to see these guys bouncing back from a disappointing loss and just putting Leicester to the sword and getting a really good win, but also getting rewarded for it as well with some of these call-ups. So to go through some of the other under-21 call-ups, uh, Ibane Bowett and Kieran Bowie, both players um, Scottish, called up for the Scotland's under-21s. Luke Harris and Jay Williams, both uh, called up for the Wales under-21s. George Ockus called up for Cyprus. Ollie O'Neill for Republic of Ireland. And Adrian Pajaziti is caught up for the Albanian team. Um, just a, a lot of positives to take out of seeing those guys getting called up. And, and on top of that as well, I forgot to mention Matt Dibley-Diaz and Luke Defugeroles, both called up for the senior teams. So Dibley-Diaz, yeah, obviously a New Zealander, and Defugeroles uh, from Canada. Great to see some of these young guys who aren't even making an impact on the first team yet being recognised on the international stage. Definitely. And I mean, obviously, you know, Canada and New Zealand um, are not in the 
elite level of international football, but it's still a huge feat at their age to be called up to senior international level. Um, and look, um, we're, we're talking about it. I think many, many people have already noticed those guys. Um, but it's it's exciting, and hopefully, it just brings more and more and more experience to those those players. And in and around the first first team squad, they're going to get noticed. And hopefully, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's worth noting. I know you say that they're not big footballing nations, and and they're not. But um, you know, Canada are, are playing against Japan, and well, that, as that, sure. Australians, we know sure. how strong Japan are as a as a footballing nation. Um, and uh, for New Zealand, New Zealand are playing against uh, the. Democratic Republic of Congo might get a game against sure. Niskan's Cabano there, which would be great. And um, actually playing Australia as well. So they're going to yeah. get some pretty good games in there and hopefully they do get some appearances and, and get to get their first international caps. But I, I, even then, just a great experience. You know, they, they're going to be flown out overseas to go to these games. And um, I, I really hope that they do get their first caps because I think it's it's a mark of how well the academy's working at the moment that we're seeing so many of the guys who are playing for the under 21s getting international call-ups at a at an under 21s level but also getting their senior call-ups even before they get first team uh, appearances sure yeah like you say i mean um what doesn't it it kind of doesn't matter the team you're selected into you're going to come up against some very very good competition uh, at an international level, and it's all good experience, mm. no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing to have a quick look at is the under-21 top goal scorers. Now, Marshall Gotto still out on loan at Wigan, and it's worth mentioning him as well. Um, he's actually recently been voted Wigan's Player of the Month for his first month at the club for his appearances. So that's, again, a really good indication of how well things are going in the junior setup. Ollie O'Neill with four, Osmond McFarlane and Donald all with three goals apiece. Ocus, McCoy Splat, Terrell Works, Christian Sikalaric, uh, Imani Langadoc, all with two goals apiece. And then Tanton, Dibley Deus, Isenga, King, and Luke Harris with one goal each. Isenga and King there also, just to mention that they are very young blokes. They're 16, 15, 16 year olds playing under 21s and getting on the score sheet. It's, it's just. That's There's great. a lot of positives coming out of the under-21s at the moment, and I think it's worth continuing to to cast an eye over them as much as possible because this is a talented group of youngsters with potentially a few superstars floating around, especially when you look at blokes like Godot and Stansfield who are out on loan um, and, and playing league football and making appearances and making names for themselves as well. It's, it's exciting times, and um, I'm really excited by this under-21s team. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Moving on, and and to finish up, we're going to talk about uh, Fulham women's team. They had a superb win on the weekend uh, against Sutton United. Uh, Sutton was sitting, uh, I think, fourth in the league before this game started, Um, had had a really good start to their season, and uh, Fulham with a really good performance against tough opposition. Uh, But again, another thing that we've seen from Fulham women's in the last few weeks, they went down against Millwall, bounced back, conceded in the 15th minute against Sutton um, and just didn't let it affect them too much. I think that's the biggest thing here. Um, I've managed to get a a bit of an inside track on 
on the goals, even though they haven't been released yet. So I've managed to to know roughly what happened with these. First goal um, from Megli Mendez, um, a superb free kick, an absolute screamer to make it one all. Um, just before half time, Georgia Heisman uh, made it two one to Fulham. Um, Sophie Manzi passed the ball on to Sasha Adamson, who beat her player really well, passed the ball across goal, and um, Georgia just had to slot the ball past the keeper. A really good finish. Um, early in the second half, a lovely ball again from Sasha Adamson, who's um, really creating a lot of chances for Fulham this whole season and has been a really standout signing from uh, Hashtag FC. Um, put a ball through to Heisman again, who beat the last player slotted into the corner. Uh, so that's 3-1 up after 46 minutes. Megaly Mendez got her second of the afternoon um, with a, a nice cutting in off the right with a nice touch, slotting in past the keeper who just had no chance. And uh, a 4-1 victory really continues to put the pressure on Dartford who are currently sitting on top of the league. Let's take a quick look at the table um, because that'll tell the picture a little bit more if I can find it. Did I put it in the slides? No, maybe I didn't. Yes, I did. Here we go. So Dartford currently sitting top on 21 points, seven wins from seven games. Fulham unfortunately dropping points early in the season. Um, sitting on 16 points. Dartford do have some tough games up ahead, though. They play Ebbsfleet, and I believe they play um, Dulwich Hamlet as well, maybe, I think, over the next couple of weeks. So there is the possibility for them to drop some points. I think it's Ebbsfleet and Sutton, sorry, they play. They also have a pretty bad um, schedule where they play on the Sunday and then again on the Tuesday, whereas Fulham play this Wednesday and again on Sunday. So... um, Look, if, if Fulham get a couple of wins over the next few games and keep the pressure on Dartford, Dad, do you, do you think that – I know it's early season still, there's a long way to go, but who's in the in the box seat here when you're chasing a team who are unbeaten at the start of the season? Do you feel like the pressure's sort of off Dartford because they've been playing so well, or do you think the pressure's off Fulham because you're chasing a team that would just keep winning? I think the pressure's on both of them because it's, yeah, it's very difficult to – two possibly three-horse race here between Dartford, Fulham and Ebbsfleet. Epps, but, uh, yeah, to back to um, <clears throat> uh, Tia's comment about how difficult it is with only one team being promoted. It's it's so tough. Uh, it, it's so very, very tough that you just cannot afford to drop even one, two, three games here you're in serious difficulty. Mm. So it's it's a very, very high pressure. But I, if, if I were Fulham, I'd probably be feeling that, <clears throat> you know, they, they, they signed some new players um, and, and perhaps they didn't, and I'm, I'm just making this up because I don't know how true this is, but I'm just wondering whether it, it took a little bit of time to bed those new players in. But mm. now that, that team seems to be playing with a lot of cohesion and a lot of confidence. Um, I think the Fulham women probably have every right to be feeling like over a long season, they can be very consistent and consistently score a lot of goals. And that's the key, isn't it? I mean, if you, if you can score, you know, consistently score no, no fewer than three or four goals, provided you you have a defensive capability, you're odds on to be winning games. Um, mm. And, they, you know, they've had they played uh, a number of those top sides with Salt Dean, 
uh, Sutton Epsfleet um, over the last few weeks. So it's not like they've been knocking over bottom of the table uh, clubs. So mm. to answer your question, I'd I'd be feeling pretty highly confident that they can stay with Dartford and breathe down their neck and, you know, uh, Dartford can't afford to slip up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you do sort of have to cross your fingers a little bit and, and hope that you do get a slip because that, that is the only way to to overtake them. Obviously, you just wait until you play them again. And unfortunately, until then, it's it's kind of out of your hands. And I think that does take a lot of pressure off, though, is is knowing that all you need to do is go out there and keep doing what you're doing. Fulham are playing some beautiful football this season. Uh, we're creating chances. We're scoring goals. Uh, admittedly, the defence could do with some shoring up and we could do with a clean sheet. But we've also had some pretty tough fixtures. As you mentioned, we played Sutton United sitting in fifth. Um, we played Salt Dean sitting sixth. We played Ebbsfleet sitting third. Um, we we obviously lost to Dartford to um, a sitting first and um, we drew with Ashford. And again, early season, it was tough to to sort of find our feet with all those new signings coming into the club. Um, but we, we've had a pretty rough run of fixtures to start the season. And I, I don't think you'd be expecting to have had such good results off the back of that, maybe at the very start of the year, obviously always aiming high. But with um, the game coming up uh, against Dulwich, so I'll just go to the upcoming fixtures. Um, the, the next fixture is against uh, Dulwich Hamlet. That's on Sunday, the 11th of October. Um, that's an evening game at Motspur Park. Sorry, not the... Sorry, Thursday, the 12th of October, that game is. Sorry, start again. That is Wednesday, the 11th of October. Um, it's giving me uh, the Australian time, so apologies for that. Wednesday, the 11th of October, 7.30pm kickoff at Motswell Park under lights. Should be a really good game. Um, and, and it's a tough one as well. As I said, Dartford are sitting fourth in the league. But the, the big thing after that is the run of fixtures. We've got Enfield Town... Dorking Wanderers and Ashford um, to sort of round out the next few fixtures. If we have a look back at the table again, um, you know, seeing Enfield Town have picked up one point from their first six games. Dorking Wanderers have been a little bit hot and cold, but conceded quite a few goals despite having nine points from six games. Um, I, I think there's there's a possibility of a really good little run of fixtures here where if we can get past this Dulwich Hamlet test on Wednesday night, we could be in for a really good run of fixtures and really see ourselves put a lot more pressure on Dartford, who have some tough fixtures themselves coming up. I think the sense I'm getting is that Steve Jay has, has got a very organised outfit here. I think they, they seem to be very well drilled. They're very well prepared. They There's an inner confidence, which mm. probably... Uh, explains why they have been able to get themselves out of situations where they've gone one down, and there's some composure there. There's an inner confidence. So I and and I remember when we were talking to Tia, and we we I guess tried to tease out not so much their ambition, but but how they they kind of felt they could or what they could achieve this season. I very much got the sense that um, there was. Um, uh, a, a kind of view within the team not to look too far ahead and just to focus on 
week mm. by week, just doing what they do, and 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 then the results will look after themselves, and the league position will look after themselves. I mean, as you said before, what can you do if you've let a team get a a few points ahead of you? You've simply got to focus on your own game, and mm. um, hope that they that they uh, get a bit distracted and and falter and have a couple of bad fixtures. Who knows? A few injuries, um, you know, a couple of teams with something to prove, uh, cause a couple of upsets, and suddenly they, they, they stop believing. And then uh, if, if you're in fine form and you're an organised group, that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the gap in the traffic, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, one thing I do want to point out as well is uh, it's something I made comment on on Twitter earlier today. Um, which was the attendance for the most recent game, um, which is something that I think is is really important, is the fact that those numbers are growing. Um, obviously, we saw a decent turnout for the first game of the season, um, but it's it's just good to see that people are getting down to support uh, this women's team, especially when the games are at Mottsburg Park. You know, the, we've seen the numbers climb from about 140 fairly regularly and and in the most recent game, we had 189 people at Mottsburg Park. That's just great to see. And I, I really want to push and really hope that in this international break, when um, there's no games at Craven Cottage, that we see some people get down and support Fulham, especially like that nighttime game at Mottsburg Park, 7.30 kickoff. A great opportunity for families to go down and spend a night out watching Fulham play and supporting the women under lights at Mottsburg. I think that would be a, a really great opportunity to get out there and support the Fulham women's team. And again, with the game after against Enfield Town on the Sunday, there's no Fulham on the Saturday. So chuck your Fulham shirt on, get down to Mottsburg Park. It, the tickets are, um, you know, properly priced, very well priced as well. Um, you, you'll be able to pick up a ticket for five bucks at, at the most, I think. Um, anywhere between even one, five one pounds pound, even. my bad, anywhere between one pound and five pounds by looking at it um, for, for entrance into the park. Um, I think five pounds for seating and one pound for standing. So it, it's just a great opportunity to get down and, and maybe see some football that you haven't seen before at Fulham um, and really get around this women's team who are doing some great things this season. Look, I think if you get down to watch the Enfield game, especially you're going to see goals. If we have a look back at the league table for the season, Enfield, after six games, have a goal difference of minus 13 and picked up just one point. And this is a Fulham team that put 16 goals past uh, Stenning Town the week before. And I think Enfield probably sit around that same level, maybe not quite that low because they did get promoted last season. But I'd expect this Fulham team who are putting four, five goals past teams who are sitting around them in the league will really put away a team like Enfield um, to make a bit of a statement in the chase for promotion. So definitely do get down. There are tickets available on the Fulham website. Um, you'll be able to buy tickets, I'm pretty sure, at Mottsboro Park on the night as well. Um, so get down for the uh, midweek game against Dulwich. Get down for the game on Sunday against Enfield and really get around this team who are doing some amazing things uh, for Fulham this season. Um, yeah. Dad, let's have a quick look at the goal scorers. Um Sophie Manzi still after her six goals against um, Stenning Town in the FA Cup is still sitting on top of the table. But how good to see such a spread of goal scorers after just eight games this season? 
Mm, definitely. Actually, I, 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 I must comment on how much I enjoyed your picture painting. It reminded me when I, I, I could have closed my eyes and actually um, seen all of those goals go in. You sounded like a BBC uh, cricket commentator of old. Uh, I'd love reading... to say it was all my words as well, but it definitely wasn't. <laughs> uh, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Uh, absolutely, you, no you probably as, as from any you probably work out probably work out who who gave me those comments on the goals by the the way they were talked about. Uh, I I I couldn't tell, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, look, it's it's great to see the number of goal scorers and and the volume of goals as well. I mean. Sophie Manzi with nine, Georgia Heisman with seven, Sasha Adamson got five, Edie Bouchelle's got five as well. Sasha Adamson must have oh, probably 10 assists by this point in the season as well. Um, and then the fact that you've got defenders, Megaly Mendez, uh, I believe, is a wing back and is, is on four goals this season already. Tia Foreman, we know as well, has two from left back. Um, uh, it's just really good to see that the goals are getting spread around the team and it's not reliance on just one person and, and you can rotate the squad and still continue to put goals past every team we play against. I think that's, uh, it just shows the depth that we've got at the moment. I, I'm really excited to see how we go later in the season when some other teams who maybe don't have that depth start to struggle with fatigue, start to struggle with, um, you know, especially runs of fixtures like we have at the moment where there's three games within the space of a week. And, you know, we have to remember that these the, these girls are have, have full-time jobs outside of football as well. So to play three competitive games of football in a week whilst working a full-time job, uh, it's it's not easy. And so this is the time when having that depth actually works in our favour. Yeah, and, you know, to reiterate what you said jack in encouraging the the sort of broader fulham fan base to support these girls this this is a good unit they're a good bunch of girls they really really do appreciate the support which you know at 150 200 people a week are family friends and a few diehards but i think um there i, I there's there's some there, there are many people that we know who follow the, the Fulham Football Club very, very closely who also get around the under-21s and the girls. And, you know, I, I, I just can't echo strongly enough Jack's comments for people to give them a go. Um, I think, you know, they're part of the Fulham family and I think you might get a nice surprise for the energy the enjoyment and the passion that they you might find uh, watching this Fulham team. And I'd stress as well, if you have a family and you've got young kids, take them down and and almost normalise going to watch women's sport. Um, you know, you, you'll inspire the next generation of of young footballers, male or female. Uh, I think it's it's a great opportunity as well to get up close and personal with these players. You know, we there's those moments when you you see guys meeting Fulham players out the front of the stadium and they get a quick selfie with them. But, you know, you're on the edge of the Motspur Park pitch up close and personal with these girls. And, and they, from all accounts, have been great with fans who go along to games and really engage with them. I know talking with um, a, a few people who 
follow them very closely and you know they know these girls personally because they get to have a chat with them after the game and and you don't get that at the elite level and you don't get that unfortunately with anyone who does wear a Fulham shirt usually because it is such a professional game now and it's a business and you're not really allowed to do that as much but this is a, an opportunity to get down and talk to people who should be you know idolized by young Fulham fans so you got a, a player who scored six goals in a game like it, it's it's amazing stuff and it's what you want to be showing your kids and saying you know this is such a great opportunity to get down and, and watch Fulham dominate games and and really enjoy watching some some really good quality football as well absolutely um let's wrap it up there though dad i think we've um probably talked talked everyone's ears off already it's been good to have you back which is i think why we've managed to talk for such a long time because there's just been so much to cover in in the last couple of weeks and uh it's actually interesting now going into this international break. How do you feel we're going to cope with it? Do you think it's coming at a good time, especially with the fixtures we've got coming up? Or do you feel like off the back of a win like that we had against Sheffield, maybe it would have been nice to actually have a game this week to sort of keep that momentum going? Uh, no, I'm actually thinking let's have more time for Kenny to be fit. Let's have a bit of time for Issa Diop to recover. Uh, let's have some head scratching to try and work work out. You know, we need to come up with a masterstroke um, and perhaps some more time on the on the, on the training ground to get something miraculous out of our forwards. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I, 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 if we could have three weeks, that would be grand. So that's called preseason and planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if we did some of that? Um, but, yeah, look, I, I, I tend to agree. I think it's actually good to have a bit of a break. I, I wasn't expecting it to be – it felt like the last break was just so recently. It feels like this break's come around very quickly again. Mm. Um, and it's kind of a shame because I just like talking about Fulham most of the time and uh, it's weird to not be able to do it for, for a little while. So um, we will, though, cover the the women's team as they play a couple of games over the next few days. So we'll definitely touch base and and pod about that over the next few days. But um, yeah, it's 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 obviously international break coming up. So so do expect that we won't have as much coverage over the next couple of weeks. But we will definitely try to get a few things out. Um, so, Dad, like I said, good to have you back. Um, hopefully, we yeah. can we can catch up again pretty soon. Well, you only live down the road. So that's probably quite likely. I mean, on a podcast, I mean, having to organise sitting down with microphones and <laughs> slideshows and all that jazz, recording equipment, mm-hmm. and and maybe we'll get Sam back at some point once he's recovered from his medical emergency. <laughs> sure. Um, but again, thank you, Dad, and thank you to everyone who's listened along live. Um, thank you to everyone who continues to download the podcast and continues to, to support us. We really appreciate all your support and until next time come on you whites <laughs> <laughs>